all of this has to do with how human beings act and interrelate, and so that's going to be grounded in what you think a human being is. And it's hard for us who are brought up in a certain worldview to recognize just how foundational these things are and how different other people can view it, that if you really believe that mankind is just an animal, a more complex version of an amoeba, then that is going to have profound effects upon your view of what a society is supposed to be and how law is supposed to function and what is right and wrong as far as ethics goes. As an extreme example of this, uh, in the news lately there's been talk about this new docudrama or whatever it is, I haven't seen it, I'm not interested in seeing it, on Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most infamous serial killers in history. And I don't know why people are so fascinated with evil. They like to fill their minds with, with shows about evil. And I don't recommend it. Uh, however, looking at Jeffrey Dahmer from an a anthropological perspective, uh, he believed that man was just an evolved animal. And therefore, he had no reason in his mind not to kill people because people kill other animals all the time. Uh, we step on ants and we put out uh, mouse traps and, and you know, we experiment on rats and, and we do all these types of things to animals and he thought, was, well, if we're just an animal, why can't I do that? And, and so he went down this very dark, evil path because of his anthropology. And so ideas have consequences. Not that somebody can't be evil, uh, in a, the a theistic perspective, uh, evil exists in all worldviews. But you see that the idea can lead to de terrible consequences. And so, when we looked at what the Christian worldview holds as the view of what does it mean to be human, anthropology, at its most basic level, we, we saw that there's, there's two legs that the Bible stands on when it comes to understanding humanity. And the first one, uh, we'll do the right leg as the first one. The first leg is that we are created by God in his image. And then that has huge ramifications for our worldview, for how we live and how we study uh, what it means to be human. That we are created in the image of God. Now can anybody give me a, a simple explanation, a simple description of what it means to be created in the image of God. When the Bible says God created man in his image, male and female, he created them, what does the Bible mean by that? If someone were to ask you, how would you explain it to a non-Christian? Yeah. Uh, he created us as rational beings. Good. Think logically. Uh -huh. That's definitely a part of it. That's not the whole thing, but you're, you're on the right track there. Uh, anybody else want to take a stab at it? Yeah. So when the Bible's talking about an image, it's talking about a, a representation of something. So like when, when you draw a picture of a rabbit or a horse, you're creating an image of that rabbit or that horse. Uh, when you take a picture of a person, you're creating an image of that person or mountain or whatever. But it's not the same thing. You can't say, well, this picture is Timothy, or this picture is a rabbit. No, it's just a picture of a rabbit. But it has qu 
qualities that are like the, the real thing. It, it's a representation of the thing. Now, this is not a perfect parallel because human beings are alive. We're not uh, just a, a drawing or a statue of God. But this is a, a parallel here that human beings, that we have similarities to God that are unique to us. Uh, that, well, you know, you could say even animals are alive, so just being alive is not exactly what the Bible is talking about in being created in the image of God. But there's something unique about the way God created us, that we are like him in ways that other creatures are not. That's not why we're singled out as being created in the image of God. And that's why the Bible teaches that you can't murder people, like Jeffrey Dahmer did, because when you murder someone, you're striking out of the image of God. There's something special, there's something unique about human beings that you can step on an ant, but you can't step on a person. There's a difference here. And that's, that's grounded in the biblical worldview. And when, that's uh, one of the strengths of the biblical worldview is it gives a reason for the morality that we all feel is right in our heart. And yet it's hard for people who are not in a biblical worldview or a theistic worldview to give an explanation for why we feel that way. And why do we feel compelled to protect human life in a special way? Yeah? Are we on? Great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so what are some of the things that separates people from animals? What are the things that people do that animals don't do? Converse with God. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a key one. Good, yeah. So that the cheetah doesn't feel bad about eating the rabbit, uh, just what cheetahs do. Uh, if we kill someone, we feel bad about it. So there's that moral nature. So we have a spiritual nature, we communicate to God, we have a moral nature. Now, it's interesting, sometimes you can see dogs feeling bad about what they've done. Right? If a dog does something he knows that you didn't want him to do, he's like coming to you. It's like, oh no, I'm in trouble now. Uh, so, so dogs do have a sense of whether or not they're doing what their master wants them to do or what their master doesn't want them to do. So it's interesting to think it through. What exactly does separate us from the dog? You know, some dogs, it's really interesting, they, they can learn certain words. And you can say a word and that dog will go and, and find that object and bring it back to you. And sheep are actually really intelligent on some level. They can learn human faces. They can tell the difference between one face and another face. And they can know, you know, is this my shepherd, is this not my shepherd, by looking at the face or by hearing the voice. And so there's some personal, you know, relational nature, even in animals. But I think that that key one there, that we talk to God, the religious difference, is definitely uh, a huge part of what separates us from the animals. Uh, anything else can you think of that separates human beings from animals? What do we do that your cat and dog don't do? Well, yeah, but you know, your cat and dog do love it on their level, right? Just to kind of a different, different degree. And that's where you could, you know, understand the atheist saying, well, human beings aren't completely different from the animals. It's just a matter of degree. We're just smarter than dolphins, but dolphins are smart. Uh, and so you can start to see how they could rationalize that. But then you have to recognize, no, there are some things where it's not just a matter of degree, but that we're totally different. But can you think of some things where we're, you know, not just a degree different, but that we are doing that they're not doing. We don't create any art. Good, yeah. So, you know, animals don't make music. They, birds sing songs, but they're not making up and composing songs or <coughs> writing books or painting pictures or any of those things. And I've never seen, you know, my cat or dog uh, 
look at the sunset and just admire it for its artistic beauty. I've never seen that. And, and I put music on, my cat's not like... Uh, cats don't understand music, it's just noise to them. So I think art is definitely a key level there, yeah. Like meta cognition, like you think about thinking? Good, yeah, thinking about thinking. So that's part of the rational side there that we have. Uh, so that sometimes called self-awareness, that ability to think about uh, yourself on that higher level, that metacognition. Good word uh, throwing in there. Um, anything else? Good thing to meditate and think about. Uh, I'll leave it there. Now, we see that even after the fall, mankind is still created in the image of God. So even though we're sinners and the penalty for sin is death, it's still wrong to murder. Uh, it's very important to recognize that throughout the scriptures. And what this, this truth does, what this aspect of our worldview does for the Christian, is it, it gives us an objective purpose, an objective meaning in our life. That if we are just a cosmic accident created from the slime by chance, then there's really no objective meaning, there's really no objective purpose to life. But if you understand that human beings are created in the image of God, and that we are therefore designed by an intelligent God to represent him on the earth, and as he told Adam and Eve, to rule over the creation, and so we have this representative role that we are here to, to be stewards of God's creation and to worship him, that gives us a purpose that is really wonderful. And the Westminster Larger Catechism starts off with this question, what is the chief and highest end of man? And that's an important anthropological question. That's a great place to start with the catechism. What is the, the chief and highest end of man. What's the purpose? What's the goal? Why are we here? And people, you know, in the world, they pretend like this is such a difficult question because they're ignoring the obvious answer and they're rejecting the obvious answer and then they're left with just, you know, this, this profound darkness that they, that they live in. Who knows why we're here or what the purpose is? And the Bible answers that on the first you know, page of the Bible. This is very foundational for Christians. We know why we're here. We're here to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever as his image bearers. So, I want you to just get some of this basic worldview stuff here at the beginning because that's what Francis Schaeffer is working with as he's going to compare and contrast the secular humanism, the, the modern uh, atheism that we live in with the biblical Christianity. Alright, well, we review more on that, but we got a, a lot left to do, so let's move on. The next thing I want to do today is I want to hand out to you the subjects that you're going to be using, uh, the topics that you can choose from for your first speech. Yay, first speech. We're finally getting there. Let's go. I agree. I'm excited. Pass those around. Can I preach about carrots? No. Well, you have to choose something on the list. I'm sure you can find a way to work it in. Oh, I'm sure I will. Yeah. I don't know why I will, but... Am I allowed Yes, please do. If you can find a way to work it in, that would be awesome. I've heard rumors of this. Have you seen the show? No. Alright, so, 
You see on the handout that I gave you that there's three different categories of speech, but they're all very similar. We have a persuasive speech, an informative speech, and illustrated oratory. Now, the difference between a persuasive speech and an informative speech is, in an informative speech, you're not giving your opinion. Instead, you're just making known the, the facts about the situation without any judgment value. For example, you look at church music throughout the centuries. There you're not saying, well, I think that you know, 21st century church music is the best. And this is why it's better than all these other you know, forms of church music in history. You're leaving your view and your opinion out of it. And instead, you're just objectively comparing and contrasting the different styles of church worship, starting in you know, the early church, moving through the Middle Ages, and the, the, the Catholic Church, and then into the Reformation, and, and all of that. So, your informative speech is just to inform, it's not to try to persuade anyone of anything. Now, in the persuasive speeches, you see the first one there, the Dark Ages is a misnomer. There, the very topic itself is a, uh, a statement of opinion. Uh, this is not a, an informative speech, but here you're trying to persuade people to how they're supposed to properly view history, in particular, the Dark Ages. And so, I've given you persuasive speech topics, but if you would like to argue the opposite of the persuasive speech topics, you're, you're welcome to do so. Uh, even if you don't believe the opposite of the persuasive speech topic, if you want to just, for the sake of argument, play devil's advocate, you're, you're welcome to do that. Yeah. So what's the opposite of carrots, if I can... <laughs> well, if you were doing a persuasive speech on carrots, you know, you could do a, a, a speech on why carrots are bad for you and you shouldn't eat carrots or, or something like that. Uh, but an informative speech on carrots, you know, that, that's a whole different ballgame. Now, now, the difference then between an informative speech and the illustrated oratory is just the fact that you're going to be using illustrations in an illustrated speech. So, you look at some of the examples of the illustrated oratory. The first one, Gothic or Romanesque architecture. When you're giving a, an informative speech on architecture, it's really helpful to have some pictures that you could try to describe, you know, the pointy versus the rounded arches and, you know, the heavy walls or the flying buttresses. But a picture is worth a thousand words in this case. And so, there's certain topics that I thought, well, it would be well suited to an illustrated oratory. Just a second. So, you see that we've got the projector here. And we've got the stage, so you can you know, use uh, your own illustrations if you're creating illustrations and use a, a whiteboard or you can use a uh, poster board. You can create your own illustrations on poster board. And some of you have done this for like history fairs where you've got the poster board and then you describe what's on there. That's an illustrated oratory. Or you can use the digital, either, either way when it comes to that. So got a question? Yeah. Do they have to be like true facts that you put in your speech? Yes, you will be judged on the accuracy of your data and facts. That's part of it. Um, so let's go through a few of the topics here just to make it clear what we're talking about and what we're looking at. Now, you can choose any of these for your first speech. Uh, you can choose a persuasive speech, an informative speech, or an illustrated oratory. And since there's about 20 of us, it's going to take us three weeks to, to get through all these speeches because each speech is going to be five to seven minutes in length. 
So you're going to be shooting for five to seven minute long speech, which is not that long. It goes by pretty quick, but uh, you'll have to be practicing and make sure that you have the right amount of material for that time frame. Now, when it comes to Christ as Savior is insufficient to challenge humanism, that is one of the arguments that Schaefer makes in his opening chapters of his book. And so one of your key resources is going to be Schaefer's book. As you see, I've drawn a lot of these from what we've covered so far this year. And as we go along, then the second round of speech topics will come from the second half of Schaefer's book. So look at Schaefer's argument and, and look at how he presents it. And, and you can quote Schaefer and say, well, Francis Schaefer says that Christ as Savior is insufficient to challenge humanism. And here's his reasons. And uh, then you can... Uh, agree or disagree with that. Now, the uh, third one, intentions matter, and here we've got the nooses in Oakland Park. You remember the first class I handed out the, the news article about how people had mistaken these exercise equipment in the trees in Oakland Park for nooses and some kind of racial attack? Um, so this would be a speech showing why it's important for us in our society to recognize the intention of communication and not to prosecute people according to uh, whatever might be misread into their actions and words. So, the importance of recognizing intention in a legal system. Uh, or just in you know, basic communication. The third one, you'd want to be con con convincing people that there are in fact parallels between the fall of Rome and the fall of Western civilization, which we are currently experiencing. And that's basically the big idea of Francis Schaeffer's whole book. But you'd be drawing heavily from his first chapter. But I want you to know that you're not just drawing from Schaefer, but I want you to do some research on your own. So you can start with what Schaefer has in his book on a lot of these topics, but I also want you to go and, and find out what other people have written and said on this subject. And so you might have to make a trip to the library, you might have to do some, some smart searches on DuckDuckGo, and so whatever it is, uh, I can point you in some direction of resources if you get come to a dead end. If you come to a dead end and you're like, I just don't know where to go to, to research this topic. You've asked your parents, you've asked your friends, you've, you've uh, done all the searching you can do. Then come to me as a last resort and I'd be happy to help you find some good resources. But I want you to do as much work on your own before you come to me. The, the next one, religions and worldviews, secular humanism as a functional religion. Here you'd want to draw on that humanist manifesto that I handed out to you on the first day of class and show how secular humanism originally identified as a religion, but then show why they have no longer done that in order to try to make themselves the official religion of the public sphere in America. The next one, how statism arises from humanism. And uh, that's an interesting persuasive speech. That's also one of Francis Schaeffer's keys. And so one of the things you're going to want to use as a resource for these topics is the Libri website. Remember, I had to go on the Libri website and read some of the biographical material there. And then I also showed that there was a whole library of resources on all these different topics. And so you can listen to some of the, the topics that relate to this. If you did a search on Libri, on statism... Uh, see what articles or what talks would come up. And then the next one, why we need true truth. Uh, this is a, an argument for objective truth as opposed to all truth being subjective. 
And there's a lot that's been written on that subject. Christianity helped end the slave trade. So one of Francis Schaeffer's critiques of Christianity that we find at the end of one of his chapters was that Christians have not done enough to denounce racism or work against racism. And I think, of course, you could always you know, make the argument that people could do better. But I, I find it disconcerting sometimes that people are not fair to Christians in history as basically the ones who, who did bring an end to slavery. And so you could say, well, Christians didn't do enough, but they did more than anyone else. And so you know, I think you want to draw some of that out as well. And so uh, an emphasis there that I think would help counterbalance some of the historical criticisms of Christianity, instead focusing on some of the positives that came from Protestant Christianity in that regard. Then the last one there, how and why the medieval church apostatized. We studied the medieval period. That was one of his key themes. I'd like you to develop that a little bit more and bring that out for the class. And that's what's really great about these speeches, is that it gives us a chance to dig in a little bit more on some of the specifics that we've already been enjoying in general in class, and you'll find that the teacher always learns the most. And so pick a topic that you're interested in, and pick a topic that's not just something that's easy, uh, but really find something that you're going to enjoy learning and studying more about and presenting to the rest of the class. Because if it's a subject that you enjoy, then the work that you put into it isn't going to feel like work as much, and you're also going to be better at communicating it because you're going to care about it and this will be something that is more coming from you rather than just doing an assignment. So try hard to, to pick a topic that, that you're going to enjoy researching and talking about. Um, and if you, you know, come up with your own topic and you want to run it by me, uh, feel free. Uh, you don't necessarily have to do one of these, but I think these are a good place to start. So let's talk about some of the informative speeches. Uh, some of them are pretty self-explanatory. Charlemagne's influence on Western European civilization, that was a key part of one of the chapters, and, and you can just do a little extra research and bring out some more of that. Uh, question, Levi? No. Can we change the topic? Carrots. No. <laughs> uh, only if you convince me that it has something to do with what we're talking about. Um, like if there was a, you know... Carrots were a big part of medieval economy and you know, led to the uh, peasants' revolt or something like that. Um, all right, so the, then the third one, contrasting the Renaissance and Reformation. So here, this is an informative speech. You're not trying to say, well, the Reformation was good and the Renaissance was bad. You're leaving those value judgments out, and you're just giving an objective comparison of, of the Renaissance versus the Reformation. Uh, Aquinas on the extent or the effects of the fall. Here again, you're not saying, well, this is the right position on the fall, according to the Bible. You're just saying, this is Aquinas' position on the extent of the fall. And that's an informative speech. And there's reasons why you'd want to know why this is what Aquinas believed. This is actually an area of controversy, because Francis Schaeffer's view of Aquinas' view of the fall is not... Well, it's been criticized a lot, let me say that. That's one of the areas where people think that the book is kind of improperly researched, and that he just took someone else's ideas without really uh, examining the evidence fairly. Yeah? Um, we get, I guess maybe not stock points, but like, um, is it fair if our in informative speeches will lean specifically in favor for or against? If you give an informative speech that sounds like a persuasive speech, yes, you will be done. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
And then ad fontes, you have to look that up, what that means. Uh, it has a lot to do with the Renaissance and the Reformation. And so this would be a speech informing what does the phrase mean, and why is it significant, and why is it so good, why is it so important to the Renaissance and Reformation. And then a lot of the informative speeches are biographical. Uh, you got Wycliffe, Huss, Aquinas. You can pick any of these guys and just do a biographical speech, okay? Born here, this is what they did, this is why they're important in history. Basic uh, biographical overview in five to seven minutes. And then you've got the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy. And so you have to look up the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy and explain what that is to the class and why it's important and how it relates to what we're talking about here. The Humanist Manifesto, you could do a speech on that, or you could do a speech on how it changed from version one to version two and version three. Uh, that would be an interesting, informative speech. And then you can compare and contrast the Renaissance and Reformation view of man, the Imago Dei, like we've been talking about here, and humanism versus that biblical theology. That'd be an interesting, informative speech. Uh, then the next one, very similar, the Imago Dei, then the five solos of the Reformation, pretty self-explanatory as far as what we're looking for. Uh, a historical speech on the Church of England breaking with Rome, how did that come about, why, what were the results, and then more biographical speeches on Erasmus or Bach. Now, let's jump, okay, go ahead. Uh, could you do one of the informative speech topics as a persuasive speech? Uh, yeah, if you want to, you can run that idea by me. Uh, if you've got something you'd like us to persuade about a person. Uh, then, so then, when it comes to the illustrated oratory, you've got uh, how to take notes. And uh, there you can have illustrations on note-taking and outlines and things like that. And since we've been doing so much note-taking, I thought it'd be fun to throw that out as a, as a possibility for an inform uh, illustrated informative speech. So... The illustrated oratory, you're going to see that they're pretty much just informative speeches with illustrations. Uh, not necessarily very many falling into the persuasive speech category in the illustrated oratory. Um, the survey of Roman history, uh, that'd be great to have some pictures to go along with that. The history of the Orange County Supertones. The Supertones were the ones that I gave you the song for the first week. And I'm probably going to play another one of their songs next week. And just for fun, I threw in the, the history of the Orange County Supertones. So, not the, nothing to do with carrots, but you get orange in there. <laughs> the music of Ambrose versus Gregorian chants. The history of Christian hospitals. Lorenzetti's allegory of good and bad government. You remember the picture for that that was in the video and in the book? That would be interesting to, to dive more into that and get some more information on uh, the details in that allegory. The worldview tree, which we've already talked about, but uh, it'd be fun to just review. Francis and Edith Schaefer, Labrie. And then I put uh, a poem on there by Samuel Taylor Coleridge called Self-Knowledge, and the Greek is Nothisealton. And so you could give an informative speech on uh, you know, what's in the poem, why it's significant to what we're talking about. Um, and I don't know, the illustrations uh, might be, that, might, that doesn't have to be an illustrated oratory, but you could probably find some, some useful illustrations of Coolidge and other historically related subjects. Greg Bonson, uh, so it would be interesting to have a, some information on him since we've studied so much of Schaefer, get another apologist in the mix. And then I put Dilbert on there. And uh, Dilbert is a comic strip that's been around ever since I was young. 
And he's been doing a lot of interesting comics lately online that really delve into a lot of the uh, culture war that's going on. And so here you could de describe how the use of humor in worldview conflicts is illustrated in Dilbert's comics. Um, timeline of music history, Reformation art and iconoclasm, and the destruction of the images and how the Reformation uh, you know, was involved with that and still valued art. And then Rembrandt. You could, I thought he'd be good as an illustrated oratory because you're talking about an artist and so you want to show some of his art while you were talking about the artist. Yeah. Um, as part of an illustrated oratory, you also, or you know, that also include like any physical. Um, yeah, yeah, you could have props, um, definitely. Um, all right. So, what your assignment is going to be this week is to choose your topic. And like I said, if, if you want to modify a topic or run a topic by me, uh, get approval of your topic this week. And then I want you to start doing your research and collecting your data. So. If you have trouble, uh, you know, ask for help from a parent, ask for help from one another. Uh, if you've you know, done everything you can and you're like, I have no idea where to go with this, then I am here as a last resort to help you. I just want you to be able to not lean on me too much, but kind of figure it out on your own. Um, but I don't want you to fail, so if, if you do need help, do, do come to me. We clear on, on that? Not that I'm trying to be lazy, uh, just that the more you figure it out on your own, the, the better it is for you. Um, so, do pick your topic, do your research, and then you're going to form your outline. So, let me hand out to you what that's going to look like. So you're going to be doing steps one and steps two this week, due October 14th. Uh, I want to see your outline that is a result from your research. Now when you're putting together your outline, you're going to mostly be filling in the body of the speech to begin with. The intro is the first thing you're going to say, but it's not the first thing that you're going to write. When it comes to speech writing, your intro and conclusion come last. Um, now, as you do your research, you've kind of already got your thesis just from your topic. For example, if your persuasive speech is the Dark Ages is a misnomer, then your thesis is the Dark Ages is a misnomer. And that's what I'm going to persuade you on in the course of my speech. So you've already kind of got your thesis laid out. Uh, now, when it comes to an informative speech, your thesis is just, you know, John Wycliffe was this important person because of this. And you've got just like one big idea of what you're going to get across in your thesis. And your main points are going to support that thesis. Now, as you do your research and your data collecting, you're going to start to figure out what your main points are. You're going to start to realize, oh, you know, this part of his life is really interesting. I want to, I want to talk about this as one of my main points. And so, when you're talking about a person, 
Your main points might be, you know, the person's uh, background of what they did that was so historically significant, and then third, what the long-term repercussions of this person's life have had on history, or, or something along those lines, where you, you've basically got three main points. Now, you don't have to do three main points. If you've got, you know, two main points, that's fine. If you've got four, that's fine. But remember, it's just a five to seven minute speech, so you're not going to have seven points in a five to seven minute speech uh, with, with any kind of depth. So, when you're developing the body, through your research, your, your main points are just kind of going to bubble up to the surface. You're like, okay, that's important, that's important, that's important, I got it. So, you're going to want to develop your outline where you can actually write down what your main points are, and then under each main point, you're going to include, you know, an illustration, especially if it's an illustrated oratory, a, a physical illustration, or a verbal illustration if it's uh, just an informative speech or a persuasive speech. But I, I want specific examples, quotes, data. I try to get specifics built into your speech that are supporting the general ideas. Your general idea is, you know, John Wycliffe was the morning star of the Reformation, and it's uh, the three things that he did that kick-started the Reformation. And so, when you're talking about those three things, I want specifics about his Bible translation, or the distribution of his Bible translation, or, or what he wrote that was, you know, handed on to young Hus or other guys. And so, get, make sure you're getting some of those specifics in each main point. And you're really only going to have time for a couple of data points or quotes or illustrations with each main point if you're going to have a five to seven minute speech. Now, once the, you've got your thesis and the body of your work is coming together, then it's important to work on your introduction, your conclusion, and your transitions. Notice that the word transition is there after each main point. And your, your introduction and conclusion are mirror images of each other. You guys see that the intro starts with the attention getter, and it ends with a zinger. A zinger is the last thing that you say that you leave with someone that they're going to remember. And it usually ties back into the attention getter. So the attention getter is going to be like a, a fascinating quote or an interesting word that you're defining. It could be a, a story, like the most interesting story that happened in the person's life. It could be a really you know, unusual or unexpected statistic. Any of these types of things that are going to get people's attention on the topic. An attention getter that's not on the topic is not a good attention getter. You know, you could tell a really funny joke, but if it doesn't have anything to do with your topic, that's not a good attention getter. You got people's attention, it just wasn't on the subject. And you want people's attention on the subject. Now, you, you got your attention getter, and then you state what your thesis is, and you're going to, in the introduction, state what your main points are going to be. In order to show you why John Wycliffe was the morning star of the Reformation, I'm going to describe the influences on his life, what he did, and how that is carried on in the next generations, or whatever, you know. And then you do that, and then you say, okay, my first point, which I just told you, is that he's, uh, the, the influences in his life that made John Wycliffe who he was, and then you give the, the data for that. And then you make the transition. And the transition goes like this. So we talked about the influences in John Wycliffe's life that made him who he was. 
Now I'm going to show you what he did as a result of those influences. What he wrote, what he said, and how it was a preparation for the Reformation. So you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you, told them, you tell them what you told them. And this is, this is how you get information into people's heads uh, by that repetition, by that process. And so that's why it's all here on the outline. And when you're making your outline, you actually have to write out your transition. All right? There's several keys here in the outline that I, that I want to be written out. Uh, and you can change it and refine it as you go. But your, your uh, thesis should be written out, and your transition should be written out, and your main points, of course, should be clearly stated. And then, when it comes to the conclusion, you review your main points. Just like in the introduction, you told them, these are going to be my three main points, bing, bing, bing. In the conclusion, you say, these were my three main points, bing, bing, bing. So you remind them of what you've just told them. So they're hearing this over and over again, because the key to learning is repetition, right? So then you're going to review your thesis. And these main points have led to our conclusion that John Wycliffe was the morning star of the Reformation. And then you end with your zinger, which is tying back to your attention giver. So you see the structure of the body of the speech that I want you to, to form this week. So then, October 21st, you'll actually write the speech, but you're going to write it all out. And then I'm going to show you, after you write your speech, how to transfer a written speech to note cards. Because when you give your speech, you're not going to be reading a transcript, and you're not going to be reading something or reciting a transcript that you've memorized, but instead you're going to be speaking from a keyword outline that you'll have with you on note cards. And so you'll have four by six note cards in your hand that will have keywords and your outline, and so you can make sure you don't forget something and all of that, and we'll go over that. So this week, uh, choose your topic, do your research, and create your outline. Next week, you'll write your speech, and then uh, October 28th to November 11th, we'll have three classes where we divide you up and we get uh, six of you a week, uh, thereabouts, six or seven, giving your speech. And that'll be great. I'm looking forward to hearing your speeches. Now, on October 21st, I'm going to be gone, and so I've arranged for another guest speaker to come, and it's nice to be able to have these connections to bring in great people to help out. So who we've got coming on October 21st is Deb Bedeer. And Deb has taught apologetics for years, and she's the one that uh, basically started the apologetics that I got to be a part of uh, when I first came as pastor in this church. And so she's excited to come back and share some of the things that she uh, taught and developed over the years. And since we're on the subject of the Reformation, that's kind of where we're taking our pause here to do our first round of speeches, she's done a lot of research and a lot of teaching on the subject of the Reformation. So she's going to bring in something that will uh, bolster what we've been learning about the Reformation period. And that's timely also because October 31st was when the 95 Theses were posted, and so we like to celebrate Reformation Day rather than Halloween, and that's a, a, you'll be ready for Reformation Day when Deb comes and talks about the Reformation on October 21st. So there won't be any reading assignment this week. We're going to take a little pause from that, and I'll give you time just to work on your speeches.
With the last five minutes that we have, what I want you to do is I want you to get into small groups. And uh, I want you to get your Renaissance and Reformation answers to the questions and discuss those in small groups. And we've only got a short amount of time, so grab those papers, get into a group of three or four, somebody take the lead in asking the questions, and spread out a little bit so you have some room to talk.